Welcome to the Army Medical Department Center of History and Heritage podcast series. The opinions and statements of the speakers featured on this podcast are not necessarily the views of the Army or the Army Medical Department Center of History and Heritage. The goal of this podcast is to share the story of Army medicine with soldiers, military, civilians, teachers, researchers, and the general public. To commemorate the 16th anniversary of the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, the AMED Center of History and Heritage is providing excerpts of interviews found on the AMED Center of History and Heritage website. Medic describes the 9-11 response. This is an excerpt from an interview with Sergeant Matthew Rosenberg regarding the September 11, 2001 attacks. Sergeant Rosenberg is an Army medic assigned to the DiLorenzo TRICARE Health Clinic at the Pentagon. He also serves as a non-commissioned officer in charge of mass casualty events. He was awarded the Soldier's Medal for his actions on September 11th. The day started out pretty much like any other day. We were doing minor procedures that day when we found out that the World Trade Center had been hit. Somebody came in and said, the World Trade Center got hit. And we were like, yeah, we know it's horrible. They're like, no, it got hit again. And that's when we realized it was a terrorist thing. I went into a room, pretty much the procedure was almost over already. I just started evacuating people. At the time, we didn't know really what was going on. We thought it was a fire drill. A Navy commander came in and said, hey, I've got a patient that's in the courtyard. He needs your help. I got about 20 feet into the center courtyard and that's when I saw the smoke rising out of the side of the building. And then I started seeing patients coming out. I picked up my radio. This is Sergeant Rosenberg. You need to initiate the mass cow right now. We have multiple patients in the center courtyard and I need medical assets in the center courtyard immediately. My first patient had a second degree burn to most of his body. His hair was smoldering. He came out with his arms up, just screaming. You could see the surface blood on the outside of his skin. Other people were coming out with contusions, smoke inhalation, lacerations. People were helping. People were comforting those who had, you know, smoke inhalation. At the time, we didn't have any oxygen or anything else, so the best thing you could do was to tell people to take slow, deep breaths to help clear their lungs and help hold it in. The best thing you could do is to help support them while they did it. I remember looking up and seeing guys coming into the center courtyard and they both had packs on their back and I was thinking, all right, there are medical supplies here now and we can start to do something. And by then doctors were starting to come in, you know, different people were starting to filter in and the patients were coming out so we could run and grab them. I would grab one and start working on them and by the time I got like three feet, one of the other medics was there to help me carry and move them back over. Originally, there were calls for people on the inside and I was, hey, we need medics in here. And I wanted to go, but an army doc told me, no, you're not going anywhere. I need you right here with me. Then the Air Force Surgeon General came out and he grabbed me by the arm and he said, I need you here. I looked at my army doc and said, ma'am, can I go? She looked around, she looked at me and she said, just be careful. I grabbed a litter, an aid bag and some other stuff and went in. I don't think I'll ever forget the way she looked at me because it was one of those goodbye kind of looks. We talked about it later and she really didn't expect me to come back out of there. The water was up to our ankles and we were digging and digging and digging. There were about 30 people in there and I went around and checked, you know, to make sure everybody was all right. It was mostly smoke inhalation and just shock. 
I noticed that everybody was staring at this hole and there was smoke coming out of this hole. I said, what's going on over there? And they said, there's people trapped in there. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not doing anything out here and there's people in there that need me. So that's where I went. At first I was just helping to clear debris as best I could and it was horrible. There was smoke everywhere and it burned. It burned your lungs, you couldn't see. I had to come back out because I couldn't breathe and I started coughing and everybody handed me a mask, basically a t-shirt. I went around again to make sure that everybody was fine and we went back in. About the time the first person from the area came out, I was doing my checks, the first person came out and I had known that there was one in there. She came out and she was on the litter and they were carrying her out. I did a complete assessment of her while she was moving and then I went back inside. We got a little further and we were digging and digging and there was smoke and fire everywhere. This one guy was found alive and we finally got to him. They used a wet t-shirt to revive him. We tried to get that guy out of there but get him on a litter and get him out. There were two people that were burned to death right next to him who didn't make it because they couldn't get underneath the table fast enough. We got him out and then we couldn't go back in because the room was just engulfed. About 15 or 20 seconds later, the, the whole room just went up. I tried to go back in because that's where there were still more people back there, but there was an estimate that there were probably about four or more people trapped down there around the side. We tried, but we, we couldn't do it. When the Air Force Surgeon General finally came out, he said, we've got to get out of here. I went to the courtyard where they were evacuating people and there was Captain Gladwell. She was still there. She wouldn't leave until all the patients were gone. And when they were gone, she was redirecting where all the medical supplies were to go so they wouldn't be left behind. There was a report of a plane coming in and they wanted us to get out of there because they wanted us to get away from the building just in case it, it hit the building again. We grabbed as much medical equipment as we could and went out. They funneled us back underneath the underpass because the plane was supposedly coming in low and fast. Captain Durham, who is the commander of our dental clinic, was down there and he was saying, this is ridiculous. The patients aren't here. There's nobody over there to take care of the patients when they do come out. We have to go back over there. The police were saying, you can't go. There's a plane coming in. And the captain said, court martial me, I'm going. And I looked at him and I was like, all right, finally. And we went. I looked behind me and I saw everybody from our clinic, all the medics, all of our techs, and everybody that was there who had grabbed equipment and were coming to help. They were the ones who had the spearhead out there for the second charge. First, we were stockpiling all the medical stuff by like items. Just try to get it there. You know, people were coming in left and right. Do you need help? Where do you need me? Do you need help? Where do you need me? I'm looking around. I noticed that the firefighters are still working, but they didn't have a recess station set up for them yet. So I went down, I grabbed some water and I grabbed some cups and a blood pressure cup and everything else. And I went down, ran a recess station for the, fire, for the firefighters that were down there. A recess station is a place where every firefighter has to circle through when they do their thing. You know, you check your blood pressure, check to see that you're not getting dehydrated. You check their color, their temperature. You have water there for them. Even if they don't want to drink, you, can, you make them drink. It was hot out that day. You get a big jug of Gatorade and you just pour two jugs of Gatorade into the water and the firefighters are like, this is nasty. And I'm like, yeah, no, drink it. It's sugar, it's sweet. And it's got electrolytes in it, drink it. After a while, 
it wasn't just me walking around with my little squirt bottle going, here, drink, here, drink. It was people handing out bags of ice. There were buckets of ice cold drinks all of a sudden coming in from everywhere. Then it went from there to, okay, we've pushed back all the sites into the road behind the barrier. What do you need? Tell me what you need and I'll get it. I'll go find it somewhere. And that's what I was doing. I snagged a respirator, one of those little pocket respirators, and I kept it in my pocket all night. I think one of the biggest things that got me was I was really shaken up by the fact there were still those four people trapped down there that we couldn't get to. And I was like, you know, if I would have had one of these, maybe we could have gotten a little bit further. Maybe that smoke wouldn't have bothered us that bad. We stayed that night out there on site. It was somewhere around 9.30 or 10 that night, and we all started realizing that this was no longer a rescue operation. We had all this stuff set up and ready to go because we thought we were going to pull people out. And then you slowly start to realize that, no, they're not. It's not going to happen. And that's what affects you the most. The next day I went home, probably around noon, and they're like, get out of here. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll go. Major Brown, the Pentagon Clinic chief nurse, she, she looked at me and uh, she gave me a direct order that I needed to leave. I thought that was funny because she didn't leave for three days. I went home and everything was a blur. Everything was a dream. You were walking out to your car, but it's not like you're really walking at all. It's kind of like you're just standing there and you're going through the movements and the earth is moving underneath you and everything else is moving around you, kind of like you're in a movie. Who could sleep? You know what I mean? You go home, you lie down, your head is just filled with everything that you just did and your phone is ringing off the hook because everybody that you've ever known, ex-girlfriends that I hadn't talked to in years, called me. They couldn't even tell me who they were. They were like, I just wanted to know that you're all right. And I'm like, who's this? It doesn't matter. And they'd hang up, just so they knew that I was all right. The big thing about it was in the aftermath, everybody pitched in and everybody helped out. Everybody did the best that they could, you know? Not any one thing that they did or she did or did it as something that was more important than anything else that someone did. You know, a, a co-worker helped save somebody's life too that day, and he was sitting there talking to me about it. That person called him, that person's family called him at home to thank him, and that put it all in perspective for him. It wasn't about who gets that award and who does what or anything like that. It's about saving, the saving of people. It's about people saving people. In all honesty, that's what it's about, you know? The number one thing I tell people who say, can you sum it up in one sentence or one phrase? And I'll say, in 24 hours, I got to see the worst and the best of humanity. Approach. Hey, this is Dulles Approach Control. We're tracking a fast-moving primary heading towards the White House. The White House has been advised. All right, I'll tell him. Okay, I'll keep you advised. Thank you very much. 3402 and find education support for soldiers, military, civilians, teachers, researchers, and the general public, 
please visit our website at history.amen.army.mil. The U.S. Army Medical Department Museum is free and open to the public Monday through Saturday, 10 to 4. Remember to bring a valid ID to the Fort Sam Houston Scott Visitor Center at Harry Worsbach Gate, south of the Fort Sam Houston Golf Course on Harry Worsbach Road. If you have any questions, please call the AMED Museum at 210-221-6358 or visit the Joint Base San Antonio website for current base entry requirements at jbsa.mil.